0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the 52 Pearls Weekly Money Wisdom Podcast. This is Melissa Freidenberg in the Gross Point office. And today I'm here with our newest team member at Pearl Planning, Jay Freidenberg, who also happens to be my husband. Welcome, Jay.
1: Thanks, Melissa. It's great to be here.
0: Jay is our investment analyst and has over 25 years in the financial industry with the last 18 as a vice president on the asset management distribution side of the industry. So we are excited to have Jay here. He is a wealth of knowledge and it's also nice working with my husband.
1: Well, it is great to be here, Melissa. Thank you very much. Very (laughs) excited about it.
0: Uh, Well, today's topic, we are going to talk about what is going on in the market right now. You may have opened up your statements and been a little surprised to see that everything is down, or maybe you've been following along in the news and had expectations of that. But hopefully today we'll clear up some of the reasons why this is going on, as well as what we think will happen for the rest of the year. So as of Friday, June 24th, the S&P was down 17.3%. And probably more surprising is the bond indices were down as well. So the U.S. Treasury Indice was down 12.7% as of Friday's close, and the U.S. Ag Bond Index was down 10.9%. So there really has not been places to hide as far as the market year to date. So Jay, would you be so kind as to share with us some of the things that have contributed to this? Sure.
1: Obviously, there's lots of things that go into it. But first and foremost, what's happening in the market right now, it's all about inflation and how the federal reserve is controlling inflation through their interest rate policy.
0: Okay. So mainly the market is probably wondering if the Fed's going to be able to control this inflation, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. I think you bring up a great point because you know, as the Federal Reserve is trying to get down to their target rate of inflation of 2%, they are going through a rising rate policy, right? So you know, it's one thing for for clients to look at their statements and seeing their equities being down, right? That's just some, you know, clients have gotten used to equity volatility, but when their equities are down and their bonds are down, that's what creates a lot of confusion. So what the bond market really began doing in January was anticipating the Federal Reserve raising rates, And it kind of happened quietly in the beginning of the year. And in fact, it actually started happening in December of last year with short-term rates. But really, over the last few months, uh, rates have dramatically risen in anticipation of the Fed. And what happened when the Federal Reserve, not only did they raise interest rates uh, 75 basis points or three quarters of 1%, Uh, they gave some really hawkish guidance. They, in fact, went so far as to say their primary goal was to tackle inflation, which led the market to believe that they were going to be very aggressive with uh, rate policy going forward, potentially raising rates another 75 basis points when they meet again in the uh, end of July in both the equity markets. But again, more importantly, the bond market, because bond market returns, as you mentioned, the um, the U.S. aggregate uh, bond index being down more than 10%. That hasn't happened in a really long time. In fact, it's worse than when the Fed was raising rates in 1994. So if it feels a little bit jarring, um, it is, and it, right. and, it, and it has been volatile.
0: And typically, when you have a portfolio that has equities and bonds, we look at that bond portion as like the ballast in the portfolio because typically when equities are down, bonds are either down less or positive to maybe offset that.
1: to use industry jargon the inverse relationship uh, between equity markets and bond markets, and you're you're exactly right. That has not been the case.
0: So that's what makes it a little bit different this year for people that maybe have experienced equity volatility in the past, especially for those conservative investors that may have more fixed income in their portfolio. They are maybe not expecting their portfolios to be down.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, whatever whatever example I can give is not going to it's going to be somewhat cold comfort to bond investors, particularly bond investors who are um, more conservative or, or further along in their investment journey that have more bonds in their portfolios. But the worst years, most of the time for bond markets, are like bad days for the equity markets. I do also want to add in, you know, the vast majority of bond market returns come from the dividend or or the interest that they're paying. And this repricing of the bond market that we're going through based on uh, rising rates, has incrementally given bond investors a raise uh, in their investments. Now, it's going to take a little bit longer to, to recoup those losses because it's we're going through a pretty dramatic uh, rising rate cycle. But with the, uh, the return coming from the interest, which has gone up pretty dramatically uh, over the short period of time, the bond investors will recoup these losses that they're feeling in the short term
0: you just mentioned, you know, if the Fed's going to continue to raise rates and the market is, you know, doesn't react favorably to that, why wouldn't I just take my money out and put it back in when the market recovers?
1: You know, market timing is a strategy. If people could do it, the smartest investors in in Wall Street and around the world would would practice it. But what happens is, you know, it's easy to say, okay, uh, a the week before last the market was down about 25% year to date and that's when we had gone into a bear market so
0: officially entering a bear market would be down 20% or more from the market high e-
1: exactly yep so the hard side is when do you get back in right the 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 cost of being out of the market um, you know if you if, if you time it where okay so so we entered a bear market um, the week before last, and the market's down close to 25%. And and you don't necessarily know when you're going to get back in, what can happen is the market can run away from you. And when you're always looking for a, a, the, the very best entry point, or a good entry point, um, the market can get away from you. And that that opportunity cost or the cost of being out of the market, it will be or has been, I should say, um, considerably more uh, than whatever you avoided. The market was down right around 25%. And last week, the market was up 6.5%. So timing is impossible. And and, um, the best and worst days are grouped together. For for long term investors who have long term plans based on long term goals and objectives. Now, I'm not saying that it's easy to do, but the best thing to do is to trust your plan, trust your diversified asset allocation, and um, I mean, now that it's summer, go sit on the beach,
0: <laughs> turn off the news, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think that that's probably the best. Um, the best advice is turn off the news for sure. The, the market is is trying to figure out you know the probability of a recession this year or next year the average downturn on the S&P 500 anticipating a future recession has been negative 25% and as we were talking about before the week before last we went into a bear market and the market was down just about 25 percent. So the point in that is it's very likely that the maximum drawdown for the S&P 500 based on the possibility of a recession is fully priced in.
0: So meaning there may be headline volatility depending on what comes out, what whether the Fed has using hawkish language or they raise uh, interest rates by another 75 basis points in July, we may see the market go up one week, down one week, but that down 25%, historically, that would already be pricing in a mild recession.
1: Yes, exactly. And not to get too wonky about it, um, the technicians have talked about pretty strong support levels at the lows that we saw, again, when we were down just about 25%. So, you know, one thing I will say is, Investors should expect volatility, but as the market tries to to figure out, in mid July we're going to have uh, earnings season in full swing. Now, you know the consumer price index uh, that's coming out in mid July, the, the uh, personal consumption expenditure in in late June. Uh, we're going to get the um, producer price index. If if those numbers you know come in dramatically above or dramatically below, that's going to create volatility in the market. But what I what I do want to say is we I think we should all remember that 70% of the US gross domestic product is based on the US consumer. And the US consumer is actually in pretty good shape. Um, Yes, we're all feeling the inflation, whether it be the, the the cost of gasoline at the pump or, you know, um, heating and cooling prices, inflation in consumer goods. But job growth has been very good. Wage growth has been very good. And the U.S. consumer still has a very solid savings rate. So, you know, where the market is going to you know, react or anticipate to various data points. Overall, the economic picture is pretty solid based on based on the consumer.
0: So, unlike maybe previous recessions, let's think back to 08, 09. I mean, that was that was a tough time to, in the Freidenberg household, and just across the country, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we I, had just I, had our <laughs> first baby. We were both working, and we went down to one income, an extra mouth to feed. So, I remember that one. Pretty pretty well. We, uh, when you think about what's different now, as you mentioned, people are—we have full employment, so people are employed. People have had a raise, right? It's been an employees. Well, yeah, you market. know, it's the
1: the wage inflation or the wage growth that we have seen since you know since the uh, the pandemic has has been the best in decades. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it would be nice that we got that for for different reasons, but we'll leave that up to. Uh, to Congress, But nonetheless, we've got it. But, you know, going back to previous recessions, whether it be the, the pandemic and, and the virus and, and all of that, um, or, it, you know, the housing crisis, financial crisis, the dot com, um, those were all based on like huge dislocations. Obviously, the pandemic put put a stop to uh, the U.S. economy and global economy. But if you think it to the, to the housing crisis and, and the financial crisis, that was like, a, you know, two sectors of the U.S. economy and the market that were just broke, took a long time and really dramatic changes, both on the, uh, the, the fiscal and the government side, right, as well as, as as the monetary side with quantitative easing to fix that stuff. Uh, or if you go back to you know the dot com um, bubble, like the technology sector was just broken. it It took, I think a couple of years to come back from that. This really isn't the case. Obviously, the Fed has to fight inflation. Um, consumer sentiment has has never been this negative. Uh, That's C- so interesting. yeah, CEOs, you know, CEO sentiment has also been very, very negative. And to your point, that could create a uh, a self fulfilling prophecy where you know if businesses start pulling in their spending, they'll they'll stop hiring. If if uh, the consumer says, you know what, We're, we we won't spend money on this, that, or the other things. There's there's actually an old saying that you know the the, the best way to fight high prices is with high prices. You know, eventually people will stop spending money on things. We don't think we're at that point right now, but again, that's kind of what we're all watching for and especially what the Fed is watching for.
0: Another thing to point out I think that that maybe, I mean, I, we take we talk about this all the time, but the Fed is trying to put the brakes on the economy because after things opened up after the pandemic uh, the, the demand was so high for goods and services after after people were able to get out of their house, right? That, I mean, this is the end goal of raising rates is. And I think sometimes the consumer doesn't understand that, that like, yes, things are expensive. Now, uh, with rates going up, people are experiencing, you know, higher mortgage rates, higher lending rates. Um, but that's exactly the point is to get people to stop spending and sort of tap the brakes so that we're not...
1: Yeah. 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 I, I, I love the term tap the brakes versus demand destruction. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, you know, that that's exactly what the Federal Reserve is, is, is trying to do is to try to pull some of the liquidity out of the market. And, you know, I think you, you hit on something that's, that's very important. You know, I mentioned before, and I think most people know that, the majority of our, our economic growth is driven by the U.S. consumer. The vast majority of that is services, not goods, right? So as, as, as we all were kind of some degree trapped in, in our homes at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, sitting, sitting there and, you know, watching the, uh, the Amazon delivery truck circle our neighborhoods.
0: I don't know um, what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, <laughs> sure you don't. Um, anyway, there was this huge demand put on, um, on goods that, you know, and very atypical demand. At the same time, our supply chains were breaking down, you know, most notably uh, for anyone who tried to buy a new or used car over the last couple of years. Now, it's getting a little bit better, but um, the semiconductor industry. You know, the, the second largest uh, expense in, in automobiles now uh, after steel is semiconductors, right? They're in everything. As, you know, the supply chains broke down, the cost of goods just skyrocketed. Autos was just one thing. But I mean, go to, go anywhere to try to buy anything right now and, and, and the inflation based on the the supply and demand has been way out of whack. And I kind of, I, w- I wanted to put that in perspective because inflation has been extremely low prior to the pandemic since uh, the housing crisis, right? It's been significantly below 1%. If you think about inflation in the United States, that inflation level has been very low because actually a lot of the services are deflationary right so when we had this this you know huge huge demand at the same time our supply chains were breaking down that is the majority very big majority of what is is been the driver of these inflation numbers now unfortunately and this is what's what's happened is gradually the supply chains are, are healing themselves. The demand for the goods that was atypical or abnormal because we all kind of, you know, we were, we were trapped in our house and buying houses and buying things. That's dissipating. But at the same time, we're getting inflation due to much higher uh, fuel costs.
0: And there's also that pent up demand for travel. I mean, people are still, even with the higher fuel costs and higher airline costs, people are still booking flights because they haven't been able to go anywhere or see their family or do anything for the last few years. So that's something that's a little bit different, I think, than other inflationary times or times when people maybe say, forget it with these gas prices, I'm just staying home. But people have been trapped at home for a few years now.
1: Yeah, I think that technically they call it revenge travel. I I don't know.
0: (laughs) Revenge travel. I like it. That's interesting. And and something got me thinking. Talking about inflation as this abstract thing. in what we do in financial planning, we're trying to get people to understand that they're saving money now and investing it so that in the future, with inflation, that they have the same buying power. And I think previously for myself included it's sort of this abstract thing right you can show people numbers but it's really hard to put your mind to it so if i were to look at a silver lining of what's going on right now hopefully this gets you know under control in the next year or so but i think especially for our generation it'll be easy to understand why you need to save up more for retirement because over time, the cost of, of things and services and gas and food, to, you know, feed yourself in retirement. Typically, we look at that over a 10, 20, 30 year period of time, but we've seen it in the last year or two. Yeah, so it really gets yeah. people thinking about why they need to save and at least beat the rate of inflation over time.
1: As a Gen Xer, I can remember being you know, very young, and and um, you know the inflation of of the uh, the seventies and and early eighties. But for you know the, the the vast majority of people living right now, they don't have really tangible memories or experiences around
0: inflation. Now, so you have tangible memories of inflation in the seventies?
1: Wow! Well.
0: <laughs> now this is an interesting thing because Jay is is fifty one, right? All right, so yeah, so Jay I, being know, alive in the seventies, I was born in November of seventy nine, so I don't really remember inflation.
1: I was, I, I, I mean, I do, I remember being in gas lines for sure. I remember, you know, for whatever reason, I, maybe this is why I'm in the industry. We are, but um, I remember CD rates being at nineteen percent. I don't know if that was a, I don't know if that was like a, a, you know, a commercial that I saw or hearing. You know, adults. Eight years old and shopping CD
0: rates. Yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, fast forward to, you know, when when uh, you and I started you know, doing education funding planning for the kids and, and looking at, you know, the, the inflation rates of, of education at like whatever, seven, I think seven or eight percent. I mean, that was very theoretical i mean it's real for people that are have been putting kids through college but for us like this inflation is 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 very tangible
0: it's very real and i don't know again if it's because we're in this business and we think about these kinds of things but as i'm at the grocery store seeing that my bill is double what it used to be for a week's worth of groceries right now like that's kind of what happens over time to your savings when you're no longer earning and you're in retirement, the same trip to the grocery store gets more expensive. And so you need to make sure that you have saved up enough and that you're still earning more than the average inflation rate on your assets, even through retirement. So again, I'm trying to put a silver lining on this once we get to the other side that maybe that will help people, you know, save more aggressively and really take take this abstract thing that typically we don't understand, which is inflation, and, and make it real.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, protecting purchasing power is is it is why we we invest, right? In the beginning we talked about market timing why we never do that. But right now what what what's been happening with the volatility for long-term investors, this could have created entry points for a lot of asset classes and specific companies that have been let's say overvalued or fully valued and at pro planning our investment committee we're always looking for you know opportunities to rebalance to execute tax loss harvesting strategies or to make sure our our models are in line with our long-term objectives again it's 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 all predicated on trying to produce the very best risk adjusted return but that return to come full circle is to protect or maximize buying power, whether it be, you know, five years, 10 years, 25 years down the road.
0: We'll have future episodes. You're giving me ideas for future podcast episodes. But I think there are definitely things we can do to take advantage of the situation we're in, in this market. Um, But most importantly, to stay invested, continue with your auto invest if you're doing either into your 401k or just your investment accounts with your advisor. Uh, There's actually your you're buying more shares right now as you're putting your same money going to work every month. So um, hold tight and do tune in for more episodes if you would like to hear our thoughts on the market, as well as some ways you can take advantage of it from a financial planning standpoint. So thank you so much, Jay, for joining us today. It's been really helpful.
1: Thanks, Melissa. (laughs) I will be around. I look forward to our next one.
0: Definitely. Well, if you have ideas for things you'd like Jay and I to cover together, let us know. I am going to link his contact in the show notes. So if you want to reach out to him, um, go ahead and do that. And as always, if you found this episode helpful and you know someone who may benefit from it, please share. We really appreciate that. Thanks so much. You can access our first two seasons of this podcast on our website at www.pearlplan.com or on Spotify. If you're interested in learning more about Pearl Planning, feel free to sign up for our newsletter also found on our website.